Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Woody Allen Retrospective Podcast. I am angry. <laughs> and I'll tell you why in a moment. I'm joined by my co-host with the most always a delight to do this with, James Daniel Walsh. Uh, welcome back. Uh, I would say good to be here, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, we're literally in hell. It seems like every episode, our technical issues get worse and worse and worse. You will notice some audio degradation it is out of our hands we me and james both use both use macs macbooks or imacs or whatever uh apple just pushed out an update and it's just destroyed the audio codec and for three days we tried to record so just thank you for bearing with us <laughs> on the last episode yes, we, we will did do the... our best sorry james have your piece. Say your piece before I get on, because I'm really angry. I just want to get on with the shit. Now. Yes, we. This, this is day three of us trying to do this. Uh, we apologize for any poor audio quality. If you just bear with us this time, hopefully next episode will be uh, will be better. Yeah, you know this is the only time in the last decade I can say I'm considering going back to Windows, which is just sacrilege. Mm-hmm. Okay, deep breath. On the last episode, we spoke about the movie with John Favreau and Famic Johansson. I always mispronounce her name, Love and Sex. That was my pick. We're going to do James's pick for Woody Allen adjacent. James, you already mentioned what you're, we're going to talk about this time, but just for the people that I might listen for the first time to this episode, can you introduce us to what we're going to be talking about today? Today, we will be discussing the 1979 feature film, The Jerk. Starring Steve Martin and directed by Carl Reiner. Why did you pick this movie to first talk about, Jason? Well, I got into a, I got into a little bit of a kick uh, watching the old, the old funny ones, as they say, for uh, Woody, and I was watching Sleeper and Bananas, and as I'm as I was watching them, I just I started to think about other movies that had come out around like in the aftermath of those two films. And mm-hmm. suddenly I thought about The Jerk and how it does have kind of a similar uh, anarchy to it. It has a similar silliness to it. Although I think, I mean, I, Woody would never play a character quite as dumb as Steve Martin's in The Jerk. Uh, there is a, a similarity between the two styles of comedy. So I thought it'd be a good, good one to discuss here. Plus it is a genuine classic. It is well-loved, well-acclaimed. It's definitely in, you know, lists like AFI, IMDb. Like, this is one of the comedies. And I can tell you, James, even I have quite uh, a loving respect for this movie. Or I thought I did until I rewatched it. (laughs) And I'll get to that. One of the people who thought it was one of the best films of all time was Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick from 2001 Space Odyssey, Stanley? Stanley Kubrick listed it as one of his favorite films of all time. Jesus, wow, that's shocking. The man who made Eyes Wide Shut. And funny enough, I think I heard that at one point that he wanted to cast Steve Martin for Eyes Wide Shut. He did, based on Love the Jerk. I think he wanted him in the Sidney Pollock role. Interesting, interesting. Anyway, uh, this was a good pick for our conversation. But the conversation, when you when you mentioned this movie as a recommendation last month, I had a vision for how I thought this conversation was going to go. I was so excited. I got my girlfriend to watch it. I said, this is one of the funniest comedies ever. 
you know, this is Steve Martin, you know, before his prime, his first movie, but the jokes and everything. And she was excited to watch it because she heard, she's a massive Steve Martin fan. But what I will say, and you will find this with Steve Martin fans, some people watch more of his toned down movies where he's playing a much more somber character. Whereas I'm talking about my girlfriend's favorite movies, Father of the Bride. Uh-huh. Whenever she mentions, I'm like, that's very tame, Steve Martin. You know, he's done some wacky movies, wacky comedies. He's a stand-up comedian, but she's like, oh no, he's a he's a nice gentleman, fatherly guy. So okay, let's watch the jerk. I had a vision of the jerk, James. I had a vision remembering this movie, and I I own this movie. I own this movie on Blu-ray. I was I didn't even when I repurchased this movie. I didn't even rewatch it. I just, I just knew automatically. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I rewatched this movie, and I was kind of shocked. I didn't quite remember this movie the way I thought I did, and I was, I wasn't even left wanting. I was just a bit confused. <laughs> I was like, was it really this wacky? And last time, I think. Six episodes, we spoke about LA Story, and I was like, oh, James, this is Steve Martin's wackiest movie. I've seen The Jerk, and this is even wackier than The Jerk. I'm going to hold my hands up and say I was dead wrong. <laughs> this movie is wacky. Well, this is this is Steve Martin coming off of his very successful stand-up career uh, when he was just selling out stadiums everywhere in the world that he went. And I think people forget what a force he was in the 70s as far as they, everybody, everybody knows him now from Father of the Bride and Parenthood and exactly uh, and those kind of movies. But in the seventies, he was the the wild man, and this movie really represents that. Let me first. I've got four clips. I've got my favorite clip from the whole movie that I just I just took out of the movie. I want to play it just to just to gush over it because I still I still like this movie a lot, but I don't love it as much as I thought I did now. And I'm going to be, I don't know what's happened to me, James. Maybe I've just been watching too many dramatic movies or maybe I've just become too much of a cynical fucking critic. I don't know. But the legendary critics, Siskel and Ebert, uh, reviewed this. Oh, yes, I've seen this. Yes, I'm going to insert this review because unfortunately, (laughs) my thoughts now of this movie aligned a bit more with what they had to say. I'm not in complete agreement with them. But let me play this clip and then I'll go back because I don't want to be overly negative because this, this is not a bad movie, to be honest with you. It's just, ah, this movie came off differently 20 years later, 40, 50 years later for me. So let's have a listen to the original reviewers, the original critiquers talk about it. Martin seems willing to do almost anything for a laugh and every scene in the movie wants us to laugh for the same reason as the last one because Martin's such a goofball. Well, that gets old fast. Mm. Martin's personality wore me out, and eventually it crossed the thin line from being wild and crazy to being repetitive and tiresome. I think I know what you're saying with that scene. If he does go out there as a character and gets trapped like that with the dogs, Uh that's funny. But we know immediately that it's Steve Martin playing a guy and says, look at this joke I'm going to show you. Now, that can work on a nightclub stage where you know, you can see it's an actor, and Mm -hmm. he's a nightclub Mm -hmm. comedian, of course. It doesn't work in a feature-length movie. We want to see a real character there. There's no character there. Jerry Lewis used to do the same thing, but it was Jerry Lewis portraying a stumble bum kind of guy. Right. We're always aware that it's Steve Martin 
laughing at what he's doing while he's doing it. It doesn't and, work right. in a full-length And there's movie. a problem there in all the scenes where he's with other people because they have to pretend that they're playing real characters. In other yes. words, they have to play it more or less straight. They mm -hmm. have Bernadette Peters and all the others. They have to be there playing their characters, and then against them is Steve Martin being Steve Martin playing the character so that mm -hmm. they're kind of embarrassed sometimes. There are a few scenes. I mean, the reading of the note with the dribbled water, that yeah. was kind of cute. But just try and imagine seeing 95 minutes of that stuff, it just wears you out a little bit. And now I find myself agreeing more with them because the first thought I felt came, when I came away from this movie was that this movie feels more of a vehicle for everything he does in his stand-up career. He's just shooting them jokes at you all the time. And to my memory, I remember this movie a bit more foundationally in a, in a story way, like, you know, Bruce's Millions or Trading Places, and I felt there was more of a story. This movie, to me now, feels like Steve Martin's stand-up in segments. And a lot of things about this yeah. movie don't even make sense to me. In particular, the love interest. Him and this, the main love interest, is it ben, Benedette, Benedette Mitchells? I think I got the name wrong. Benedette Peters, yeah. Benedette Peters. I, she is just as wacky as him. And I don't understand their relationship, but you know, I think, uh, again, I'm looking at this movie in the wrong way. Even I know that. I just remember this movie wrong. Well, I take umbrage with with one thing that, uh, that Gene Siskel said and one thing that you said. First of all, what you said, this movie is not 50 years old. It came out three weeks before I was born. But I thought you were 100. And I am not 50. So <laughs> <laughs> only in internet years. <laughs> only in internet years. Um, you should take umbrage with that. <laughs> and what Gene Siskel said about Jerry Lewis doing it better. Jerry Lewis sucks. <laughs> I hate Jerry Lewis movies. Yeah. I always have. He's not funny. If anybody is, should like, I, I tried just a couple of years ago to get through his version of the, the nutty professor. And I shut it off after 10 yeah. minutes. Exactly. I couldn't even watch it, but this is very much an extension of Steve Martin's stand up career to the point where, you know, one of the opening lines of the movie, you know, I was born a poor black child. That's from his stand-up. And so, yeah, I feel like this this is this is Steve Martin's version of Ace Ventura. As Jim Carrey sort of was let loose with Ace Ventura to kind of do whatever he wanted. And, and as the years went by, he kind of honed persona down and got away from, yeah. from all that. Because Ace Ventura is, and I think Siskel and Ebert had the same problem with Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura is the only really wacky thing in that movie. Mm. Everything else is is normal, so everybody else is just reacting to Jim Carrey playing that character, just like in The Jerk, everybody's reacting to Steve Martin playing that character. And and just like with Ace Ventura, I think Jim Carrey got better as the years went on. And I think, well, no, I, I think, yes, yeah, Steve Martin definitely matured as an actor and as a performer as the years went on this is this is him sort of just bursting onto the screen which is fine if i look at the movie on its own the actual jokes are really good they're really good the, the beginning joke as you said i grew up as a black family uh, a bit after you know he said he's got no rhythm he can't dance and then he hears <laughs> a certain type of tune and he's that's funny a lot uh -huh. of the jokes in this movie are really funny it's just that the story underneath it 
there's later came again Bruce's minions trading places and even you brought up Ace Ventura I felt like this is so much more similar to Dumb and Dumber because he actually feels like yes the Lloyd Christmas Jim Carrey character he you know there's a an innocence it's not just obnoxiously irritating that like Adam Sandler does in his fucking movies it's yeah. innocent he's naive and you know it's it's and I love Dumb and Dumber is one of my favorite movies and you know, yeah. for me to praise that and not praise this would be silly because they are very, very similar and the characters are very likable. I don't dislike Steve Martin's character at all. And I, it's just when I look at the story, especially um I was looking forward to him meeting his love interest. But from watching this movie again, and again, I I wanna contrast this with, with what Woody Allen does, I don't understand where the girl came from. Uh-huh. When when he was courting her, actually, I actually want to praise the movie for something. This movie, it's the kind of comedy where it's kind of like an anti-movie. Everything you expect to happen normally doesn't. Like, for instance, uh-huh. when he has his first date with Benedict, it goes terribly. Awful. It yeah. goes so badly that the girlfriend that he has at the circus comes, crashes it, basically says, this guy has my name, uh, I have his name tattooed on my ass, beats him up, tries to attack her, and I'm thinking this is over between them. And then later they're walking on the beach singing a song. Yeah. If you're comparing it to Dumb and Dumber, yeah, in Dumb and Dumber, the, uh, the, the woman that Jim Carrey is pursuing does the logical thing and doesn't pick him at the end. But if you're comparing it to Ace Ventura, he somehow gets Courtney Cox into bed. Why? Why these women would fall for for these goofball characters in these movies? I don't know. It's just a thing we have to kind of go with. I think. I was watching a lot of videos of people talking about the jerk because if you just put in the jerk review on YouTube, you will see first time watching the jerk, first time watching the jerk, and everyone's praising Steve Martin for his zany comedy and the jokes. But everyone that I saw also admitted that this story is kind of, you know, nonsensical. And of course, someone falling into a big world of cash and just blowing it. It's fun to watch. That's always fun to watch. Again, Bruce's Minions with um, Richard Pryor did it. And it's fun as well. Uh, It's just that I, I didn't, the connective tissue was so loose where it really, you know, the, the critic in me just says, man, this is a, this is a promotion to see Steve Martin. In, in in his stand-up. But I actually think he transitioned from the stand-up to movies completely. I'm not even sure within his career how much he did stand-up when he started making movies. I think he just kind of did... A, a, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you know, James, if he stopped cold turkey. Uh, I don't know if he stopped cold turkey or not because I know at this this point he'd already he'd made a name for himself on Saturday Night Live too. And I don't. This was his first starring role. I don't know if he had any smaller roles in anything prior. I don't to this. think so. I don't think so. But um, I, at that point, I think yeah, he he felt like he had kind of conquered the world of stand up. He didn't have anywhere else to go with it. Uh, so I don't think he lasted long after the jerk as a stand up comedian. A lot like Woody, actually, because I know yeah. Woody is one of his heroes, and yes. um, you know. By the time Woody was doing Take the Money and Run, he wasn't doing stand-up anymore. Yeah. So I want to play another clip. This is a longer clip, because I actually want Steve Martin to... Because in recent years, if you 
watch clips of Steve Martin talking about this movie, he talks very openly about how this basically is just a collection of his best sketches streamed together. And when you um, juxtapose that with Woody Allen, I think even from Woody Allen's first movie, Take the Money and Run, the idea of him being a bank robber as being a major storyline, it's just the foundation is set so very well. And the jokes are built on top of that, where, again, me being a critical arsehole, I feel like this movie, the jokes come first and the story is really, really second. And that just, I wonder how much this movie, I, I think people do adore this movie, but I wonder if people, someone like someone like me or other people watch this movie, I'm like, really? This is the one people love? Because you, when you read, did you rewatch this movie prior to us doing this recording? Like imminently before? Yeah, I watched it last week. Yeah, I, it, it, it had been a few years since I watched it. So I decided to pop it in last week. Okay. Is it just me? Am I just being a super critical as well? Or did you feel, oh, wait a minute, this is a little bit more loose story-wise than I thought even? Well, no, I remembered it being kind of loose and nonsensical. I was more surprised by your the 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 plot is so is so non-existent that you know he just sort of stumbles from one thing to the next, and there isn't really a cohesive story until he gets rich. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised by the fact that it, it basically is a string of gags and a string of people who kind of come into the movie and then you never see them again, like uh, Jackie Mason. That surprised me a little bit, but this, this is one of my, I'd say probably top 25 favorite comedies. So I've seen it quite a few times. I wasn't shocked by it. I just, uh, I thought there wouldn't be a lot to talk about because there's all you could really do is talk about the gags because there's not really much of a story. I think if you look back at Steve Martin's career, hearing him talk about how this came to be is probably the more interesting thing if you want more substance, which is something I didn't think I would want from the jerk. But I would be a fool not to realise and, you know, give this movie its flowers for not being the prototype for a lot of those other movies like Dumb and Dumber. I don't want to bring in <laughs> Adam Sarna, but I guess... But again, I, I think... Him being that innocent, naive character and having such raunchy and, to be honest with you, kind of innovative jokes, you know? The scene where he first gets with the circus lady and he doesn't realise he's being fondled, you know? And then even uh, when having sex, it's it's quite funny. It's still funny, even in 2023. Then he writes his family a letter telling them all about it and hoping they can come watch him sometime. Exactly. And the family and to be and you know what? Here's another thing that I know I want your input input about this, James. When I remember Steve Martin starting the movie as being raised in a black family, I just thought to myself, why hasn't this movie been in the headlines for being culturally insensitive, being, you know, racist and stuff like that? But still, even now, it's done with such an earnest love that you can see if well it is a good joke. And he loves his family. He loves them. And at the end, he's yeah. dancing with them. Actually, I, I think I saw there was an interview where somebody did ask him about it. And he said, you know what? All I remember is that everybody on set was treated with respect and we all got along really well, which is the best possible answer he could have get, given. Because it, it does, that does start off as a joke. I was born a poor black child. But then you get into seeing him in the family 
the family dynamic in the movie is very sweet. Everybody loves him. Everybody treats him as part of the family. Nobody treats him as an outsider. It's a, it's actually very uh, it's a very sweet family unit that that they set up in the movie. So I don't see why anybody would have a problem with it. Now Steve does Steve does drop an N bomb at one point, but he does do it in defense of his family. But yeah, that's the only thing where I think anybody could point it out now and go, "Oh, you said the N word." And it's like, yeah, it was nineteen seventy nine. James, I think that went over my head. I think I heard it and. The context was so normal, and it made so much sense that that didn't even bother me. I mean, even as a black person, I'm not I'm not triggered every time I hear the black word. To be perfectly honest with you, but some people think that I should be if the right if the wrong skinned person should say that, which is nonsense. If it's done contextually, if it's done in the right way, it's fine. And even if you retrospectively, and a lot of people love doing this, going back, picking up all these movies, retrospectively saying this is wrong, blah 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 blah. But I just wanted to say that Steve Martin did it with a lot of taste. And even now, I don't have any problem with that. But let me give Steve Martin his chance to, to explain himself how he feels about the making of this movie. And this was at, I think this was the 30th year anniversary of an AFI screening of the movie where he did this. So let me play this clip. It's about three minutes, a bit of a longer one. But I do like some of the things he's saying here. The movie began uh, i was a stand-up comedian at the time and i knew pretty soon it was going to be over for me and i thought maybe i could get into movies and so i started working on a, a screenplay it was kind of crazy and mixed up i was driving over thinking some of the original gags that were in one was uh i was you know he was getting jobs new jobs and one of the jobs was being a buffalo counter in beverly hills and then i would stand on the street corner with a clicker and wait for Buffalo. And then the end of the gag was, I, fi there, I finally see one. And anyway, but that didn't make it in. This the screenplay incorporated some bits from my act, which one of them was the opening line, which is, I was born a poor black child. I thought it'd be fun to illustrate that. We got a great family featuring Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, two great blues players, which you'll hear at the beginning. We just kept working on it and working on it. Our goal was to have a laugh on every page. And because I was a novice screen player, I didn't know any rules. Uh, so it's, it's got a freewheeling feeling uh, about it that I, that I do like. And then Carl Reiner came into the mix and gave it heart and gave it shape. And we became very, very close friends. He was like a father to me, although I wouldn't let him bathe me like he wanted to. And I, two things to look for in the movie. One is my favorite joke, which is very hard to hear, and that's why I'm going to tell you what it is. Carl Reiner and I would drive to work every morning. He would pick me up. He'd pick me up, and we'd drive to work, and I'd say, I, I said, I had this idea uh, for a gag last night, and I told him the gag, and he started laughing, and then I started laughing, and we laughed the whole way to work. And, and I always thought it was so funny, but it kind of gets buried, and it's a simple little joke. As you might know, my character's name is Navin Johnson, and there's a scene where I'm hitchhiking, and we're hitchhiking around Missouri. I'm leaving the town, going toward the big city, and a car pulls over, I think a truck pulls over, and says, uh, St. Louis? And I say, uh, no, Navin Johnson. <laughs> and the other thing to look for, 
uh, is there's a scene between Bernadette Peters and myself where we sing a very simple, lovely little tune called Tonight You Belong to Me, which was a hit in the 50s. It was sung by two uh, children, really. They were about 12. They were sisters, and uh, their father put them up to it. And we sing this song, and I always thought this was the most beautiful moment in the film. And I was so proud of it because it would be funny, but it's going to be really touching, too. It's going to be fantastic. And we premiered the movie in St. Louis. We went to St. Louis to premiere, and it was full of people. And, and I'm watching, and they're laughing, and it's going great. And then the song comes up, and I go, oh, wait for this. The song starts, and then I see the people streaming out for popcorn. And I go, oh, okay. And then they came back in after the song. But anyway, they wanted the jokes. But one thing to look for in that scene is I'm playing this beautiful Martin ukulele, and I learned it for the scene. I learned actually learned how to play it. I can't remember if I'm playing it live or not, but I'm playing it. And then I get all excited, and I put the ukulele down. And if you listen... When I stand up all excited, you'll hear a crunch. And that's me stepping on the ukulele. <laughs> I love hearing behind the scenes stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, I really appreciate his perspective on what he tried to do because he clearly said it there. It was a loose movie. I didn't know the rules. I laughed for a minute. And that's exactly what this movie is. Yeah. And I, I actually really like the scene with the ukulele. I think that that's he's right. That is a very sweet scene, and it sets up their romance really well. I, I kind of like. I kind of wish you had gotten the gag in with the buffalo, like we talked about. That sounds really funny, actually. But I, I actually think that the, I do think that the romance. That's where where I will disagree with like what Cisco Niebert said. I think the romance between Steve Martin and Bernadette Peters is really strong. I think it does add when she comes in it adds some structure that's missing in the opening part the opening part is just gags but when she comes into the movie she really she can keep up with him comedically and it adds something touching to the to the film so yeah i mean i i he may have i i think it's actually i think it's a pretty strong romance i wish i could agree with you james but I don't even know why she left him in the middle of the film. I was confused. That is confusing. Uh, the only they they set it up in that like her mom wanted her to marry somebody with money. That's the only thing that is confusing. I feel like there's a missing scene or something. Yeah, the romance is offbeat, and I like the fact that these two characters are suited, and I do like their offbeat romance. But she leaves him, which is odd. It just sets up a lot of jokes for him to find. Uh, the way he finds her back is pretty cool. She takes him back straight away. Again, I'm like, okay. And then, you know, he kind of falls, kind of pushes her away when he loses everything and acts like an arsehole and becomes a jerk. But this is my main thing. And this is where I want to bring Woody Allen into this as well. I think there's one thing that would have made this movie imminently superior. I actually think what he should have done, and I think only because of the structure he wanted, what would he done with everything you want to know about sex, that movie, where they're just clips? They literally are the scenes all strung together. I think uh-huh. if they were all isolated and we knew it was like a clip show movie, I think that would have worked a lot better because I don't think the story works that well in hindsight. So what you're saying is you think it would be better if it was more of like a Kentucky Fried, uh, Kentucky Fried movie. Exactly. Yeah, why not? With the character of Nathan Johnson 
in the, as, as this a continuing character through it, or just just different sketches? It doesn't have to. Yeah, character doesn't have to have a name. It would just be what, just about the clips. The character name doesn't matter because they're different situations. Again, you could essentially do that with this movie. You see it that way. Him with the family can't dance. Him at the gas station. You know, they're all separate things. But in this movie, they tie them along loosely until he makes the glasses, which obviously is um something that comes up later to get his money. And then even that, all those things could have been segments. I think in my, again, maybe I'm really nitpicking and quibbling, but I think uh, what's happening is I'm getting a lot of shit <laughs> for this movie not being as great as I held it to be for my girlfriend. And now I'm playing defense. <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know. I think, you know, because you could say, you really could say the same thing about, especially Bananas. Yeah. Sleeper has a little bit more of a plot to it, but Bananas really is just how we get from, you know, Woody, you know, trying to seduce this woman to suddenly he's the dictator of a country is, that's a that's a big stretch. And a lot of yeah. the movies just sketched in between. You could say that to some extent about Sleeper. I mean, yeah. Like the the scene of him being deprogrammed in the woods it feels very disconnected from the the rest of the movie. I don't know. I I I don't have a problem with the structure of it. They would not make a movie like this. I, I'll compare this to something weird for a second. You, this this will be a very weird comparison. But another movie that came out around the same time would be Richard Donner's Superman. Okay. And at the time. People would have watched that and they would have said, this is what a superhero movie is. Mm. And now you look back on it and kids today who saw it would go, well, the story doesn't make sense. And how does he spin the world backwards? Why does that reverse time? And, mm. you know, Lex Luthor's plan doesn't make any sense. And now everything has to have really rigid plot structure to it. Mm. You know, you can't have a Star Trek show that's episodic. It has to have like an overall season arc to it. Uh, um, well, that's a, that's a great example, and that's one of my favorite franchises. So actually, that is one of my biggest gripes as a Trekkie, as a Trekkie, James. I'm yeah. gonna have to give you five stars for that. That is that example. <sighs> that's that's phenomenal. You got a great point there. Yeah, and and the jerk is a movie where it's like, yeah, none of it makes sense. The structure is weak, but it was a movie that's just like we just want to make you laugh. Yeah, we we're not trying to make you think. We're not trying to make you. Uh, we're not trying to break your heart, or we're not trying to. Even the the romance, which I like, I said I do think is a sweet enough love story. It's still just something to have gags on. So I would compare this to something like a spoof movie, almost like an airplane yeah. or uh, uh, Naked Gun, something like that, where. Those movies don't have they have they have the illusion of a plot. They don't really have a plot, and the jerk has the illusion of a plot. This guy who's trying to find himself, trying to figure himself out, and and in that way, as a story, it's not bad because he just ends up right back where he started, mm. uh, and has that realization that he didn't ever have to leave home in order to find himself. So there, that structure to it but really all of that is just a veneer to hang the the gags on 
which again, you just, you wouldn't get away with that now. Now, now everything has to make sense, which to me takes some of the fun away from modern movies. Fantastic point. I got a question for you, James. Do you know why this movie was even called The Jerk? I do not. Well, I got a clip answering that very question for those who are wondering. To be perfectly honest with you, James, I wasn't wondering at all. <laughs> but I saw this clip and I thought, hey, why not? Why not for the super fans? Let's find out why this movie was called The Jerk. Not the best reason, but yeah, why not? Let's do it. Steve had started doing this movie. I mean, he had written a movie and it was called The Jerk. I'm going to correct you. Because it wasn't called The Jerk. It was called? It was called, at that time, what happened is I had, had this idea for a movie based on some material from my act. And I wrote it with, uh, at different times, I can't remember the sequence, with Michael Elias right. and Carl Gottlieb. Right. And it was called Easy Money. Oh, Easy Money, right. When you came in, uh, you liked the script and you were kind of a... You know, a directorial god. Then I, I still am. Yeah, I know. Well, you had just done Oh God, and all the had all these hits and everything, and also I had respected your entire career. And so we worked in the room over there, and we were talking. I said it needs a kind of title, you know. And I think I had just read Dostoevsky's The Idiot. Uh -huh. I said it needs a title like that, like The Jerk, or something like The Jerk. Yes. And then that's when it became The Jerk. I am not a bum. I never thought he was a jerk really in this movie. Even when he got the money and even when he was being a bit of I, I honestly never felt Steve Martin's character was a jerk. Yeah, well, I mean, jerk also used to mean something different. Hmm. I mean, it could mean somebody who's being an asshole, but it also meant kind of a simple idiot, hmm. uh, which we wouldn't use it in that term nowadays, but that nineteen seventy nine that you could you could still that's still kind of what it meant. Can I play my favorite joke? It's my personal favorite. I laughed a lot when I heard this. It was I was like, wow, I forgot this movie's got a lot a lot more raunchy humor to it. So this one I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. <laughs> Here's my favorite joke from the movie. And I'm sure James, you'll tell me yours after this, but this is a clip I just every time I heard this, it, I remembered this and it really made me laugh. Can I ask you a personal question? What is it? Now be totally honest. You do have a boyfriend, don't you? Kind of. I know this is our first date, but... Do you think the next time you make love to your boyfriend, you could think of me? Well, I haven't made love to him yet. It's too bad. Do you think it's possible that someday you could make love with me and think of him? Who knows? Maybe you and he can make love and you could think of me. I'd just be happy to be in there somewhere. <laughs> that still makes me laugh. <laughs> so off the wall. So James, let me ask you the final question that we always ask, which we've kind of touched upon during our discussion, if Woody Allen had the script, what do you think he would have done, if anything, to change it and put it in his own ways? And I guess we can... Oh, you know what? I want you to answer this in two ways. If he did it in the early funny days and if he did it a bit later in his career, how do you think Woody would tackle this? Well, 
question for your question. Would it still star Steve Martin or would it star Woody? Let's go with Steve, even if he was there until Steve. Well, uh, well, here I'll let me let me put it this way: early Woody would have did it himself. Later, Woody would have put somebody else in the role. I think. I mean, obviously, there's always the jazz music that would have permeated the soundtrack. I think early Woody probably would have not had the character be as much of a buffoon. I think he would have. Woody Woody never really went that way with his comedy. The characters in his, his movies are always, they're intelligent characters. So I think it would be more about, you could still have maybe Woody is the adopted son of like a poor black family and all of that. And I could see him going to New York, but I don't think it would have, it would have, his character wouldn't have been quite as much of a, uh, an idiot. Later, Woody, I think would have been, uh, I hate to say it, it would have been sanitized. It would have been safe. It would have been boring. I can't think of a Woody Allen comedy that has made me laugh. I genuinely laugh that he's made in the last couple of decades. I think To Rome With Love got one laugh out of me. Yes, that was what I was just thinking with Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, where, where Alec Baldwin just, and he doesn't even have a line, it's just the look gives yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Eisberg and uh, Elliot Page. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think, even though the, the structure of the movie, to me, the structure of the jerk, like I said, it is very much like an, an early Woody Allen comedy. Because all of his comedies up till Annie Hall were just kind of gag movies. His favorite movie of mine is Love and Death, uh, which is just gag, 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 gag. Mm. So I think the structure of it would probably be the same, but it would just, the, the Woody character would have been more uh, I, I can see him like going from being a, a, a poor black child to he he did not York and uh, probably be playing the clarinet somewhere. <laughs> That's what I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I would do anything much different than what you said. I do think when I think about later Woody's career, I wouldn't say this is close, but when I think of small time crooks after they make all that money, after the cookie business blew up and they enter that high society, always, I think he always, some, most times in his movies, he always directs his focus on that class, high class life, middle, middle to high class life and what they're doing. And his character might have been, might have been a proper jerk, might have been messing around with them or just silly. But I agree with you. I don't think I've ever seen Woody Allen ever have a character this aloof, this silly, I mean, he might have as another character on an, on an ensemble cast, but I can't think of one that comes to mind. Um, so, yeah. And with this, if he did it in his early funny days, you're bang on right. The structure actually would have been the same. There's nothing wrong with the structure, yeah. but he would have written the foundation better. That's, that was my main complaint. And some of the questions I had, it would have flowed a lot better. It's just, and that's, I think that's where I'm kind of spoiled. Because I think I actually watched Take the Money Run after I watched The Jerk. I watched it probably, as I said before, I've started watching Woody Allen movies like the late 90s. So when I watched it, you uh -huh. know, I was like, oh, wow. So, and I just saw a better structure for those kind of comedies, those early Woody comedies. 
he's really strong at that. And, you know, as you said, Steve Martin said, I think it was a 20... Let me get this right, because I Googled this as well. Was it in 2015? Steve Martin did an interview, was it with The Guardian, where he mentioned that Woody Allen, a 2015 interview with the New York Times, Martin said that um, he admired Woody Allen for his work and that he had learned a lot from his from his film work and he admires him and sees him as a hero. So yes, that's where that quote came from. And it's good to know that, you know, he was another, he is another supporter of Woody Allen. And even after the controversy with Dylan Farrell came out, he still said Woody Allen, he still finds him to be a great filmmaker, great writer. So, you know. Yeah. And he, he does he, like a, they did the AFI Top 100 Comedies. Every time a Woody Allen movie came up, they'd cut to Seat Martin, and he would gush over it a little bit. But uh, I actually just thought that, you know, if you wanted to compare this to a Woody Allen movie, and I know a lot of people don't count this, hmm. but uh, what's up, Tiger Lily? Ah. Technically, Woody's directorial debut. I mean, yeah, it's 90% footage from... The Asian movie that he dumped over, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it is technically credited as Woody's first directorial movie. Sure. And that movie is just sketches and dumb jokes. and Yeah. So you, you could kind of look at it that way. No, I, I think you're right. The structure would have been the same. I think it just would have, instead of, because Steve Martin ends up in L.A. because he's an L.A. guy, it would have been Woody going to New York. Yeah. I think that's bang on. But let's wrap this one up. We've spoken about The Jerk a lot. Uh, still a movie that I hold to my heart quite fondly. And by the way, I read Steve Martin's um, autobiography, uh, Born Standing Up. It was really great. Um, I had no idea he worked for Disney. I think it was a Disney and, um, was it, what they call it, Visioneers? Imagineer. That's what uh -huh. they called the people who worked there for so long he had a lot of love for Walt Disney and you know incorporated a lot of his experiences that was a really great book I really 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 liked Steve Martin's autobiography it's one of the first ones I've read actually because Steve Martin is someone I admire oh and my last point I almost forgot to say this when we did the discussion for LA Story and you look at these two movies juxtaposed it's so funny because LA Story has a better story structure and is filled with gags as well and has a love story, which is an improvement on this one. But, you know, we have our criticisms with that as well. And you can, as you mentioned, you can see the evolution of Steve Martin as a writer, a director and an actor. And, you know, I, I liked, I really like his choices as an actor and a writer in film. And if you look at the trajectory, he's got a more serious, he's kind of got all the goofiness out of him. But as we speak, he's still got a hit show right now. He's got that hit show, Only Murders in the Building, which he says is going to be his last, last production. Then he's retiring for real. He just said that about a week ago. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, props to Steve Martin. And James, thank you for the pick. Yes. And uh, I would like to point out before we go that there is a sequel, The Jerk 2, T-O-O. Uh, <laughs> that was a TV movie from 1984. And nobody needs to watch it. <laughs> oh my you, you know what's it's, so funny it's, James go on oh no that was it just nobody ever needs to watch this movie <laughs> it's, it's garbage well it's funny you should say that because I I've I've just I'm looking at the poster of this movie and this is another it's a loose tie to Dumb and Dumber 
The Dumb and Dumber sequel is called Dumb and Dumber 2 as well. So I don't yeah, know. T O T one O. Okay, well, you know. Yeah. I'm trying to draw connections here. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's um I, I didn't know that that Steve Martin was retiring. That's kind of a shame. Uh I would like to say that uh, in closing for me at least, when you see interviews with Steve Martin, he is an incredibly intelligent man. Yeah. So the fact that he could play such an idiot is uh uh is quite the feat uh as an actor. So yeah. I I I very much uh, think that he deserves all the praise in the world for the He did a movie later in his career, I think it was early 2000s, called Shop Girl, and I think that's a drama. And I uh-huh. might I might watch that movie to see if it's a contender for adjacent down the line. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it, but I, I know the movie you're talking about. Okay, let's see. But because we've had two Steve Martin movies within six months, we're going to give him a little bit of a break. <laughs> we got a lot more yeah. to discuss. Including our next movie, which isn't even a movie that I picked. It's a movie that was kind of recommended to us by some fans. And guess what, James? We're going to do a modern movie, a movie that was released this year. The next movie we're going to discuss is You Hurt My Feelings with Julia Louise Drivers <laughs> from Southwood. I mentioned this on the Woody, um, the Not Woody Actually discussion we had. And yeah. Uh, the guys you're not the biggest fan of um, from What the Flick highly recommended it compared to Woody Allen. <laughs> so we're going to see what that's all about. And obviously, Jerry Louis drafted it to Woody Allen alumni because she was in this. Well, I won't. I, I, I like Julie Louis Dreyfus, so I won't hold the What the Flick connection against it. We'll see. We will see. And that will be next month. So, James, thank you for putting up with the technical issues. It is really been miserable really this is the hardest month yeah. since we started am i wrong no no this is uh I, I don't know that we've ever not been able to push through on the day of and this this took three tries so yeah. three days of disaster if you want to support the cause i really i'm thinking of making like a fund like a campaign to get it's not just james but i really want james to upgrade his mic because just, I have a big problems with Snowball. They caused me years of drama. On top of that, I'm going to bitch about Apple a little bit. Yes, Apple, they're up, they up, just like Microsoft, to be fair. When they introduce a new operating system, and Max do this every year now, every year they release a new operating system, driver issues, compatibility issues, and it is, for how expensive these machines are, these problems are unacceptable. So, Listeners, thank you for bearing with us. We're aware of the audio degradation and the problems. We do ask for your support. If you want to head over to patreon.com forward slash Woody Retro, you can join us, support us so we can get a better equipment. We still want to sit with Mac, but there's things we can do to kind of curb this these issues, you know, but this is something that's happening to millions of people right now. If you're on a podcast or if you're looking to get into audio right now, just just hold off a little bit because <laughs> Mac have a big problem with an audio codec right now. It's causing a lot of issues. But anyway, that's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Oh, actually, I forgot to mention, we have our comment section up and running. We've made that comment video. Go to our link tree, link tree forward slash Woody Retro. We've got a comment section now on any discussion we've done in the past, any review, go to that one link. It's called a comment section for all of our episodes comment there on anything we've done say what you want have your say 
and we will reply because there's a YouTube video comment section. We get things immediately. It's just, it's very, very easy for us to do it that way. So please leave a comment on that link down below. But James, where can the people reach you if they want to reach you? Uh, you can always find me on the Magic Expression YouTube channel and my book books are available on Amazon. Yep. And they will be in the link tree as well. So that's it. Another month is in the bag. Uh, hopefully we'll have all these problems resolved. But thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Have you got anything to say to sign off, James? Uh, I would say something to sign off, but they can't hear me anyway, so it doesn't matter. Well, okay. Sorry, James. <laughs> James is in hell right now. We're getting echoes. We're getting issues. And on that note, we're getting the hell out of there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And we'll see you on the next episode.